everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, a teacher, or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer, or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education and Advocacy Podcast with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. Okay, this is a little bit of a different setup today. So about two weeks ago, I had a free webinar scheduled. We're doing a free webinar series right now. It's had really good interest from you guys. And about two weeks ago, all the wheels fell off at Meyer and Barlow Law Firm, at the Barlow household, kind of like universally, and I had to cancel one of our free webinars. And and it was called Science of Reading Isn't For Me. And these are the slides that we were going to go through in that free webinar. So this is that free webinar, Science of Reading Isn't For Me. Now, What's confusing is the podcast episode that is just before this one is called Science of Reading Is It For Me? And some of the information from that is loosely taken from some of these slides. This podcast will go much further in depth about science of reading, what it is, and how it works, how we implement science of reading in classrooms and in tutoring etc, etc. I think this podcast episode, I think I titled it something like Killing Two Birds with One Stone, because I promised the free webinar people that I would get them another free webinar. So this is that makeup. And then it also is the podcast because I was just going to pull something else from this webinar to do as this week's podcast. And I thought, oh, heck, I'll just record it and we'll put it in two different places. The public service announcement is that if you would like slides for this podcast, hop over to the podcast YouTube channel or hop over to my website and look at the free webinar. The free webinar will not be on the website forever, but it will be there through the summer of 2023. And you might be thinking, what the heck is, excuse me, what the heck is the free webinar series? I occasionally do webinar series that are free, and we house those over on an app called Circle. You can access them from my website, Ashley Barlow, co for company, co.com. And that will put you into a community, a free community called ABC Light. I call it Diet Coke. And Real Coke, the ABC community, is our membership community, which is 29 bucks a month. And it is you get early access to the podcast. You get monthly downloads of just little tidbits in special education advocacy. We do monthly lives. We do some just community stuff. We've decided to do a recipe per month. We decided that last week or last month. So if you're interested in the community, you are welcome to join and you can find information about that on the website as well. Now, the other kind of exciting announcement, and this announcement is very timely for the people in the club because you, of course, get 
podcasts a week early. And so today, when your podcast uploads on May 15, 2023, we here at Ashley Barlow Company are opening the ABC Tutoring and Coaching Center. So the tutoring center is live now. It is open for registration. And the real exciting thing about our tutoring center is that we have tutors and coaches who are, and we will have five or six to start off with, including myself. I'm going to tutor in Orton-Gillingham Reading, two small groups, and I've got room for two individuals, although I think they might be full, actually. So what we are doing is we are providing these tutoring and coaching services in the areas of academics, including reading, math, science, and social studies, executive functioning, behavior, language, topics like this. And our tutors are going to use curricula that are either proven to work, multi-sensory, evidence-based reading. I'm doing Orton-Gillingham, straight up MZ Orton-Gillingham. I have another tutor that will do with the Wilson program, which is an extraordinary program. Or they are going to be doing programs that they have developed and they have utilized with incredible success. So I have vetted the programs that they will be doing. All of my tutors have experience with teaching children online and great success with teaching children online. And so I am super duper excited to welcome them to the community, but most of all, for you to have access to these extraordinary educators, tutors, and coaches. And then we will also have some coaching services that are available for parents and caregivers. So coaching in the areas of behavior, coaching in the areas of language, executive functioning, social emotional functioning, these areas. So I'm super duper excited about the opening of the center. You can hop over to the website and on the website, you can schedule an intake call with me. That doesn't obligate you to anything. It's 10 minutes on the phone with me. You will fill out a little form, tell me what you're looking for. I will tell you what our offerings are and then I'll send you a bid and it's that easy. So if you're interested in joining us, hop over to the tutoring and coaching or hop over to the website, go to the tutoring and coaching center, and you can schedule an intake call from there. Okay. Without further ado, we are going to talk about the science of reading. So science of reading, the basics. We're just going to start off with the basics. Again, if you need the slides or if you're like, why does this sound like she's giving a presentation, hop over to either the YouTube channel or the website and download this as a free webinar. I like to start with like science, right? Why are we talking about the science of reading? So what is science? I typed into AI, what is science? And the answer that I got is science is a systematic and logical approach to discovering how the natural world works. It involves observing phenomena, formulating hypotheses, conducting experiments, or making observations to test those hypotheses analyzing the data collected, and drawing conclusions based on the evidence. And what I'm about to tell you is that the science of reading did just this with reading. So they looked at the way that we read in nature, the way that we read in the world, formed hypotheses about how the brain works in order to read, tested those, collected data, analyzed the data, and drew conclusions about how to teach 
successful readers and struggling readers how to read. So this is our definition of science. And you see another little bullet point there about the scientific method. So how we collect the data, analyze it, draw conclusions, and then do something with it. So then let's talk about the definition of reading. And I have to tell you the sound that you might be hearing in the background is Coco. The audio might be a little bit different today because we're recording from the computer instead of from my normal audio setup. And Coco's got a bone here in the background. So the definition of reading that AI gave me is reading is a cognitive process. It happens in the brain. It's a cognitive process of decoding written or printed symbols. Decoding, we're like figuring out some kind of code and we're uncoding it, right? And these symbols might be letters, words, or sentences, and then we're going to extract meaning from them. So we decode and we extract meaning. Reading involves recognizing and comprehending the language represented by the symbols in order to understand the intended message or information conveyed by the text. So if we break down reading, that's exactly what reading is. So now we know science and we know reading. What is the science of reading? Science of reading is really a field of research. It's a field of science that applies to reading, right? So it's a multidisciplinary field. We've got speech therapists, we've got occupational therapists, we've got neurologists, we've got educators, we've got librarians, all of these different people that are weighing in and doing research on reading. And what the field does is it explores humans or how humans acquire, process, and comprehend written language. And I think the big thing to remember is that reading is a cognitive process. It is something that happens in the brain. And what's really interesting and what we learned when we talked to Hannah Stroud from my literally literacy space is that humans are not wired to read. We were wired to speak, but we invented written language. We invented alphabets and words and sounds. And so we have to rewire our brains in order to read. And the process of that is what we have researched with the science of reading. So therefore, the science of reading has shown us with a preponderance of evidence, like literally research has shown us how efficient readers read, but also how struggling readers read. And then we've learned how to effectively assess struggling readers and then obviously how to help them improve their outcomes in reading. And basically that's what we've learned from the science of reading. So what's the research look like? Now we're going to dive into kind of the next topic here, which is the evolution of research on reading. Okay, so we started out with this idea of the simple view of reading. And this little graphic says decoding times language comprehension equals reading comprehension. The science of, or so the simple view of reading basically says that we decode, we read, we blend out words, we take the codes for language. A says A and AE says A and A magic E says A and all of those codes and we decode them. And then we combine that with language comprehension, what we understand about what the language is trying to convey, and that equals reading comprehension, and that's the whole goal. And then below our main formula, we've got some little like subparts to that. So decoding involves phonological awareness, phonics, and fluency. We're going to define these things here in a second. Language comprehension also has a component of fluency. 
and then it has vocabulary and text comprehension. And so when we combine all of those subparts, phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and text comprehension, we get reading comprehension. So that's the simple view of reading. Let's look at the next thing. You've probably seen this rope a lot recently. This is Scarborough's rope. And basically the idea, so this woman named, I think her first name is Jane Scarborough, Scarborough created this thing called Scarborough's rope. Gosh, that is a hard last name to say. <laughs> Glad I didn't find myself somebody named Scarborough. So basically, Here's the thing is all of these different ideas combine a lot of the same things. So let's start first with what we saw back in the simple view of reading. We see vocabulary knowledge, phonological awareness, decoding. Now it's got spelling added to it. And we see some things that are tied to that. But we also see different things. We see background knowledge, language structures, verbal reasoning, literacy knowledge, and sight recognition. And the way that Scarborough's rope divides it is a language comprehension and word recognition. So if we look back to the simple view of reading, our two main ideas were decoding and language comprehension. And Scarborough's rope, we still have that language co comprehension, but the second thing is called word recognition. And instead of including just phonics and phonological awareness and fluency, this word recognition has our decoding and our phonological awareness, but also sight recognition, the idea that we can, in fact, memorize some words by sight. There, there are some words that we will start to just know by sight. And language comprehension has additional components, too. So we get background knowledge. Of course, we understand language better if we understand, if we have experience it. This is a really strong argument for inclusion, right? We're, go we're going to be able to read if we're exposed to more, if we get more language in our lives. Language structures. How does language work? Do we know where to put words in a sentence? Children with apraxia might struggle with reading because the words might not come out in the right order. That's the motor planning piece of it. Verbal reasoning. How do we reason with our words? How do we make sense out of words and make them make reason? And then literacy knowledge. Literacy knowledge. What do we know about the way that text is presented in a book, in a newspaper, the book has a spine. Here's the front cover. Here's the back cover. Here's bodies of literacy. This is fiction. This is nonfiction. All those things that the elementary school librarian teaches. So that's Scarborough's rope. Then we're going to come over to the active view of reading. This is this was presented in 2021 by these two folks named Duke and Cartwright. And in the active view of reading, we've got something that's got a big Venn diagram in the middle, and then it's got two little things on the outside. And the big thing about the active view of reading that I particularly like is that before we read, we have to have active self-regulation. And under active self-regulation, they have motivation and engagement, executive functioning skills, and strategy use, parenthetically being word recognition strategies, comprehension strategies vocabulary strategies, et cetera. So what the active view of reading says is first we have to be self-regulated and then we get word recognition, bridging processes, and language comprehension. So again, they take the two things from Scarborough's rope, word recognition and language comprehension. They do tease out language comprehension a little bit more and include things like cultural knowledge, verbal reasoning, theory of mind, how do you feel about the reading? Like, how? what's your theory on certain things? And word recognition is almost the exact same. 
But they add in this idea of bridging processes, things that kind of bridge your word recognition and your language comprehension to make reading. And so that would include print concepts, reading fluency, vocabulary knowledge, morphological awareness, how we break those words down into morphemes, into little components, graphophonological, semantic, cognitive flexibility. So what's that? That means that the letters, sounds, and meanings don't have to be super rigid. And what do you have? Paper? Okay. Coco. My heavens. She's interrupting our podcast recording. She just has a post-it note. It's fine. Whatever. I'm recording. So graphophonological semantic cognitive flexibility means that we have some like fluidity in our sounds and our relationship with the sounds to words. Anyway, all of those things, word recognition and its subparts, bridging processes and its subparts, language comprehension and its subparts, as well as that active self-regulation that feeds into all of that, then yields reading. So we have this really simple view of reading. And then we've got Scarborough's rope that goes a little bit more detailed. And then we've got the active view of reading that encompasses all of humankind with that self-regulation piece and some of the cultural pieces and other factors that weigh into reading. So that's the evolution of how we look at reading. Let's get definitions for some of those components. So we're going to first talk about phonological awareness. When I talk about phonological awareness, like in short to parents, if I'm doing like an informal, hey, how does, is your child ready to learn how to read? Where is your child, et cetera? I'm going to say, do they know how to play with language? So phonological awareness is really your ability to like manipulate words and sounds and to play around with them. So are they able to rhyme? Can they isolate different phonemes? Can we look at syllables? This is phonological awareness. One of the things is obviously we do rhyming. We might say, what's the last sound in cat? And that would be the t sound. If we moved that T to a P, what word would we get? We would get cap because the P, the T changes to P and then we get cap. That's all phonological awareness. And phonological awareness has word awareness, syllable awareness, rhyme awareness, and phonemic awareness. Phonemic awareness, just to tie that back out, that is manipulating the individual phonemes inside the words. So that's like the cat to cap, that kind of thing. Okay. So that's phonological awareness. Now, phonics, what is phonics? Phonics is an instructional approach. It's a methodology. It's a way to teach reading and spelling. And what we do with phonics is we connect those sounds, which we call phonemes, to the letters, which we call graphemes. So what are the sounds and the letters? And you get these kind of really nice, I don't have one within reach, phoneme graphing charts where you'll start to realize that one particular letter can make lots and lots of sounds and lots and lots of sounds can represent be represented by one particular letter. So within phonics, we learn the words blending. So if we're going to blend the word cat, then we're going to take those individual phonemes eh, and we're going to put them together to cat. That's blending. We're blending those sounds together. Segmenting. Segmenting is when we take words and we break them down. So it's the, or we break them apart. So that's the opposite. Cat is at. So 
That is what segmenting is. Decoding is when we apply these skills to actually read a word, we break them apart, and encoding is spelling. Then we've got our, our next big idea is fluency. Fluency is basically speed, accuracy, and expression. So can we read fluently? Can we read with speed, accuracy, and expression? Fluent readers can go pretty quickly. They can go pretty accurately. And therefore, they can then focus on the meaning of the text. This is when our readers go from that kind of staccato. If you've got a a non-struggling reader, that kind of like end of kindergarten to maybe Christmas or spring break of first grade when they're just reading words to like actually going up when they ask questions or starting to understand what they're reading. Fluency also involves a a fair amount, maybe a moderate amount of automaticity. So the ability to recognize words automatically, they don't have to blend them out. The brain just starts to do it so that they're more smooth and they are faster. Then I just kind of have a catch-all called other concepts. So we heard a lot about vocabulary. Obviously, a strong vocabulary is going to facilitate comprehension. There's all kinds of research on the effect of reading on the use of vocabulary and written assignments as well. Reading really supports better vocabulary. Word recognition. Word recognition is just recognizing words by sight and not having to sound them out letter by letter, graphing by graphing, phoning by phoning. Semantics. Semantics is basically how a meaning is interpreted and understood. We say that's just semantics. We're talking about like the meaning of word colloquially. And then self-regulation. We talk about self-regulation here all the time. Basically, our ability to be in control of our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors, being conditioned for learning, prepared for learning, all of those things. Okay, so now we've broken out the components to those charts that we looked at. Let's dive into what the science of reading says about how we teach these concepts. Again, don't forget that there is a large multidisciplinary body of research that comes in and talks about how we teach reading. And I'm trying to do this really quickly because it's May and I promised you quick podcast episodes. So if you think I'm going too fast, the slides would probably help immensely. I pulled these slides, by the way, from four of my favorite books about the science of reading. Um, I tried to get it as condensed as possible, but now I'm here thinking, oh, I promised this to be fast and I feel like I'm going really fast. Okay, so back to our topic. What does the science of reading say about how we teach these concepts? This is crazy. 70% of children can learn to read implicitly, like we just teach it and they just learn it. But 30% of students need direct instruction. This instruction should be structured. That's what the research is telling us. It needs to be structured. So structured reading, what's our definition of structured reading? It is explicit, systematic, cumulative, and multisensory. That multisensory component means that it has to incorporate listening, speaking, reading, and writing. All of those things. So structured reading, in order to help 30% of readers, that's a very high number, we have to have explicit, systematic, cumulative, and multisensory reading. 
And then explicit instruction has to be sequential, follow a sequence, right? And allow review and consistent practice. Sounds are taught in isolation until students reach independence. And then there's modeling, leading, guided practice, and review. This is what multi-sensory structured reading looks like. Those are the systems. What does it look like in practice? Before we go to that, let's talk about this ladder of reading and writing. This is from Nancy Young. It was just updated in 2020, but it's a fairly old visual. It's from 2012 originally. So what does reading look like? 5% of readers seem to read like effortlessly. They just kind of pick it up. Like these are the kids that taught themselves how to read when they were three or four. And then 35% of learners say that learning to read is relatively easy. They just get broad instruction. We probably think about this like our tier one instruction, which is that whole group, whole class learns how to read at the same time. So that is structured reading. Now, or I'm sorry, that is whole group reading. Now, what research tells us is that 40% is advantaged by structured literacy. That means that they are going to become even better readers with structured literacy. They don't need it necessarily to learn how to read, but they are going to be way better readers if they get structured literacy. Then we've got this big chunk in the middle, 40 to 50%, where learning to read proficiency proficiently requires code-based, explicit, systematic, and sequential instruction, and also multisensory, by the way. So these people obviously are going to benefit and not only benefit, but need structured literacy. It becomes essential. And then the last 10 to 15% are the students that we would say have dyslexia or specific learning disability and reading. And this is where learning to read requires code-based, explicit, systematic, sequential diagnostic instruction with many repetitions. So this is like the research on who needs structured literacy. And this is from Nancy Young. So I said we were going to look into what works, why or how we do structured literacy. And of course, you've heard so much about Orton-Gillingham. So the Orton-Gillingham approach is a language-based, multi-sensory approach to teaching reading and writing that was developed in the 1930s, you guys, 1930s. This has been around for a very long time by Dr. Samuel Orton and Anna Gillingham. It is, in fact, structured, systematic, sequential, and multi-sensory, and it is designed to help individuals with dyslexia and other reading difficulties learn to read, write, and spell. And of course, what we have now learned from the research And from things like this Nancy Young graphic are actually this kind of structured literacy helps all readers immensely. The Orton-Gillingham approach involves teaching phonemic awareness, phonics, decoding, fluency, and comprehension through a multi-sensory approach that engages students' visual, auditory, and kinesthetic tactile senses. This approach is personalized to the individual student's learning needs and progresses at the student's own pace. So that is basically exactly what we learned you needed. If we come back to any of our things, whether it's the simple view of reading that Scarborough's wrote or the active view of reading, we see the majority of those components in this description about OG. 
So that is why we advocate for Orton Gillingham multi-sensory reading. So that is a much more in-depth dive into the science of reading. Like I said, we did it very quickly. When I schedule these free webinars, I plan to talk for about 45 minutes. And I gave you about seven minutes at the beginning of this episode of chatting about the tutoring center. And we're only at 29 minutes. So that was a 22 minute webinar instead of a 45 minute webinar. I hope it was helpful. We will continue to dive into these academic ideas throughout the summer to to launch the tutoring center, frankly, and also because I am seeing that access to academics as being restricted parallel to access to inclusive education. And I just find that it is incredibly important to highlight these things and to empower parents and caregivers and teachers and advocates with this information. So I hope that this has been helpful. I will see you next week. Same time, same place. Have a great week. And don't forget to check out the tutoring center over at the website, ashleybarlico.com.